just enjoying watching what Matt's eye <laughs> takes to here. It's pretty cool. On this episode, I'm joined by Clinton Charlton. We talk about his start into the world of music, a few of his projects, and what drives him to keep creating. Of course, he played us a few tunes too. So sit back, sip your poison, and enjoy the ride. I'm Kalen Capson, and this is the Pack and Place Podcast. think I would have been prepared for that but um different things I suppose it, it changes as I do you know I mean when I was a kid I lived in Grand Bay just outside the city but I grew up in the in the mid 70s and and it was a very different place and it was much more isolated and there were no uh, kids in my neighborhood so music was a you know like a companion for me and a and a mystery and you know I used to <laughs> it's it's embarrassing I suppose but I used to keep track of the American Top 40 every Sunday, and I would um, I would try to be able to, like, predict what the chart moves would be week to week, you know? So, like, music was always just kind of my hobby or, or you know, like, a mystery, I think, is probably the good word. And then, you know, as I got older and I started participating in it, it became a comfort. All those awkward social situations, parties, and, and uh, different things that you go through growing up, I would always go to the musicians, and if I could jam or, or you know, even just be chatting music, they, that was my comfort zone, you know? And then that translated to the stages. You know, I'm grateful to music. It's been a constant companion in my life. It's been something that has seen me through things. It's been something that's, uh, you know, just part of who I am. So it's one of those impossible questions to answer, but a lot is, I suppose, my answer to that. It's great. You know, it's like, um, it's just part of my life. Like, I'll always make music. Always. Yeah. When did you decide that making music was something for you? Well, I always had the desire, you know. At 14... I bought a, uh, it was called an Anjo, a six-string acoustic from Steve English in Grand Bay. My friend Chris Curry and I, we went to this girl, Kelly Ferris. She knew how to play guitar. And she showed us chords. And she had shown me a G and a D. And I thanked her and immediately went home. I didn't even stay for the third chord. And I started writing songs. I guess then. And I don't even know why. Maybe because it was easier than figuring songs out. or But I just felt like... I loved Paul Simon, you know, when like Graceland came out, that was a big thing for me. And I thought, well, cool, if I write songs, I'm like that guy, you know, and I think maybe, maybe that's might have been where it started. But I don't know, I always wanted to write songs, like always, I, I used to write poems uh, when I was a kid. And I thought, well, one day I'll learn how to play piano. Piano was what I thought I would learn. And uh, I was like, oh, I'll put all these poems to, to music. And I don't know why. I've just always thought songwriters were, I don't know, above, you know, like that's just always what I want it to be. Always. I don't know why. Do you remember video hits? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, we had three channels, right? There were two English channels and then a French channel. Yeah. And so the only exposure we got to videos was um, 
this show called Video Hits that came on at 4.30. Yeah. So like I'd run home and get my homework done and watch Video Hits. And there was like so much Canadian content that places like Toronto, you know, you'd see the advertisements for the Horseshoe Tavern and, you know, we're just like this mecca of, oh my God, you know, the mystery of that. But it also at the same time felt really attainable because it was Canadian, like the Northern Pikes or 5440, like Mm -hmm. the kind of stuff that they would play. So, you know, it was, it seemed like, like you say, like idolization, but not so out of reach as a Michael Jackson or a Madonna. It seemed more like, oh, I could, I could be part of this, you know? And yeah, that show was huge for me, actually. Going from two chords. Yeah. <laughs> where, for a long time. When were you comfortable in front of people? Playing? Uh, maybe not yet. I don't, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it's um, answer, actually. like what happened was, so I started playing guitar, but when I was 18, I bought a drum set. You know, all of my friends that played, everybody needed a drummer, you know? So so I bought a drum set. And then for the longest time, while I was at home writing my songs, uh, I wasn't playing them for anybody. For the longest time, I was a drummer in, in cover bands or original bands. But um, And it wasn't until 2003, 2004, when I started to play my own songs out. Um, and that became like just this, you know, once I got a taste for that, I wasn't letting that go, you know? Um then I suppose, I guess, might, that might be when I got comfortable with it. You know, even in my 30s, like it took a long time to be able to get to the point where I felt like if I was playing a show or, or sharing my music with somebody that I could do it in a way that felt like I was sharing, you know, because I think there's a difference between performing and sharing your music, you know. I think you can go through the, the motions and sing the words and play the chords, but I also think you can share the feeling and the stories and, and you know, try to be, you know, quote unquote, naked. You know, that's where I want to get to. And sometimes I think I do. But, you know, that's, you know, maybe only in the past 10 years that I've kind of been able to tap into that a bit. Do you remember the first time you played in front of people? Like my own songs? Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I do. I know I was in this I was in this band called Second Chance. Um, and this would have been like, you know, like high school. And we did one of my songs and we played it at Gene's Country Palace if you're on Union Street, if you remember that place. Um, that was probably the first time, but I didn't sing it though. I, I wasn't the singer in that band. So, but that might've been like the first time, but no, I don't, I don't actually remember the first time I would have sang my own stuff in front of people. I know that I know when I first started singing in front of people, it was karaoke. I loved that. You still karaoke? I love karaoke. Yes. <laughs> Any chance? My, I think my friends think I'm obsessed. You know, I'll, anytime we're looking for something to do, I'll suggest that. They they never go for it, but I'll always suggest it. Requires a certain level of. I love uh, karaoke. What's the first time that you do remember playing in front of people? At, like at all? My original material? Well, I think it would have been. There was a club called uh, Studio One Twelve. I remember that. Um, yeah, you remember that place? You know, that was kind of like the you know the the clubhouse for local bands, and and um, I was in this band called the Butterfly Effect where I played drums and after that band broke up was when i really decided like okay i want to front a band i want to be a singer songwriter so i started a band called the carousels and i think that's probably where my original music when i would have started performing that and i we would have played at like studio 112 a bunch i do remember the carousels I you also do remember butterfly effect oh wow that was uh with chris fudge that was with chris fudge yeah. amazing wow he was just texting me actually that's oh, amazing really? right oh, on crazy yeah and i remember uh him from well he used to hang out with alex thorne you know Al Thorne? I do know Al, Al Thorne. Thorne. just had twins. Really? Oh, yes. man. I did not know <laughs> yeah. that. I love that guy. Yeah, well, so happy medium. Okay. Yeah. Wow. 
So his little brother Scott, yeah, yeah, who I grew up with. Oh, you did? Yeah. Wow, that's a small world. Yeah, it's small. World. Yeah, they're great guys. Oh yeah, they're great. The Butterfly Effect was like kind of my, you know, my first introduction to the local music scene. I had been in this uh, band called Mohair Sam, and we we had written a bunch of songs, but you know, we would have been more of a, a bar band. That was the scene that we were in, you know. And we did a lot of covers and stuff. And then after I got out of that band, my friend Chuck Teed introduced me to Chris Fudge to. Um, to join that band, the Butterfly Effect, and like that was a whole world I had didn't even know was going on in St. John. Yeah, and that just that felt really like you know like home. Like I desperately want to be part of this. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, crazy small world. It is a small world. Funny how much that happens. Yep. And Jason and I yesterday, uh, Jason Ogden, and yep. we were talking about we were talking about the sense of community. How he said he had moved away and he didn't realize that there was this sense of community. But when he came back, it was when he went to Toronto. Yeah. yeah. But when he came back, it was more encompassing. Because I think back then, even back when Butterfly Effect was mm-hmm. playing, I think it was a little more segregated. Absolutely. You know? And yeah, I agree. It's funny. Like, you know, the quote unquote kids of the scene, like they're doing it right. You know, they're all supporting each other. And yeah. there's no, when we were their age, or at least when I was their age, things felt more competitive. And not in the, um, you know, you guys suck kind of way. Just more like in the... You'd go, oh, yeah, good set, bud. But then you go, they were, they were all right. You know, like it, it, uh, things felt, and, and I think a little bit of competition is healthy, actually. But, um, but yeah, there, there's like way more of a sense of community now than, than there was. And there, and there was too, you know, there was a sense of community. But you're right. Things were more like there was the, this crew of people that went to this club. There was this crew of people that did this. And, right. Yeah. And there wasn't, uh, as much crossover you know and and there's still still to this day it's like that a bit you know there's the cover band crew of people and there's the original people and they don't dabble with each other and i'm baffled by that you know Uh, that's true i never really thought about that that's weird i I don't know why there's such a a line in the sand about that stuff but there seems to be i think i noticed it mostly with quality block party yeah right you go see one band (laughs) and then the next night you go see a couple other bands and there's a switching up of some of the members and stuff yeah yeah and you realize that there is this community of people that totally has each other's backs absolutely yeah yeah playing but back then i didn't see it but i could have been ignorant too like i just no i I mean i think you're probably right but uh yeah i I absolutely know what jason was talking about and 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 what you're talking about too yeah remember the cd chuck put out barbecue record yeah yeah st john's finest yep i still have that right on there was what three of them yeah 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 that that was like a big a big thing you know that we could have a cd and be part of it you know it's funny everybody has a cd now but when that came out that was like oh my god this is local and it's real yeah That was a really neat thing. Oh, that was like a that was a big deal to get your hands on that. Absolutely, for the first time. Really. Yep. Chuck really kickstarted something back then, which I don't think Saint John mm. really had before that. No, he's great for the scene, and and you know always was. A lot wouldn't have even have developed, I don't think, if he didn't. And that, and you know, and it's all passion, stuff. and you know, that's he loved it. That's why you know oh, he yeah. just loves it and still does. Thinking back to mm-hmm. everything that I can think of him doing. Yeah. And it comes up a lot, like in a lot of interviews. I bet. Yeah. Even from newer people that are just mm-hmm. blossoming now, still Chuck has a hand in yep. giving them advice that turned out to yeah. be the best thing for them kind of a thing. It's yeah, really and impressive. then, you know, with uh, with interactions, he's like raising the next, Yeah, I you know, know. <laughs> it's great. It is great. Maybe that's his plan the whole time. Maybe he just wants longevity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pass his legacy on. <laughs>
multiple projects even dill and you've got your hands in a lot of cookie jars what projects are you working on right now uh well i got a few things going on we just made a, a record a, f- a few months back that'll come out in the new year with uh, jessica ray i just did some sessions for a uh, songwriter from saskatoon named deanna ulette i played some drums on her record that'll be out in the new year i did um a debbie adshade record that i'm just over the moon about i'm such a fan i couldn't be in the same room with her so i'm really excited about that coming out in the new year uh bonnet house will start a a new record in january and i've paid for some studio time uh at bonnet house which is also an actual place too um with bill preeper so i hope to make my own record uh in the new year too and penny blacks has got some new stuff too so i'm hoping we'll make a new record in the new year so Lots of stuff, I guess. You find the time. <laughs> uh, it's you know what's funny is I have two children and a, and a wife, and I find that I'm I have so much time on my hands. Like you'd think that it would sound like I'm busy all the time, but I'm not. It just works out. I don't you know I don't like to sit in front of a TV at night or anything, despite my appearance. And and uh, you know so I'd rather be you know working on something than sitting around and not building something you know so i guess that that's how it gets done but yeah it's not as crazy as it might sound and also like in most of the projects i'm in there's a lot of duplicate people so you know that makes it easy for if i'm working on uh some jessica ray stuff for example well uh chris braden's also in her band and he's in penny black so that means you know that okay well we're working on this right now or you know or vice versa if we're doing penny black's tour or something well then we're not available to do jessica ray stuff so you know it works out in that way and same thing with Bonnet House. Uh, Sandy McKay is in Jessica's band as well. He plays bass. So if he's if we're busy with Jess, then Bonnet House gets put on the back burner. So it it kind of all works out. You know, it's the as long as we have a duplicate and it's not just me that uh, that's holding up the house of cards. We're okay. How did you get tied up with all these projects? Well, the Penny Blacks I've been in the longest. Uh, 
almost god 10 years now maybe even more um and that just came from you know hanging around elwoods and being a fan of uh jason ogden's and and the music that he made i remember <laughs> i had invited him to i used to live in, in milford and we had this um apartment that had a warehouse attached to it and that's where the butterfly effect would jam and we were having a a birthday party for the guy who owned the building and was also in the butterfly effect, Mark Goslin. And it was going to be in this warehouse and we were all going to jam. And so I'd invited Jason Ogden to come to the party. And I was like really excited at the notion that he might. And uh, he came. And I remember just being like so over the moon wanting to impress him that it, I gave him a guitar that day. <laughs> you know, just, Please be my friend. So, you know, anyway, you know, our, our friendship was pretty uh, quick and... Uh, that's how I got in Penny Black. You know, he he wanted to do this other project that was less heavy than the projects he had going on with NFA and hospital grade. I uh, you know I wanted to be anything, a part of anything he was doing. So by all means, so that's how Penny Blacks came to be. And uh, with Jessica, I planted that seed a couple of years back, and you know it was like, hey, if you ever need a drummer, you know. So that one I just kind of got lucky there. And Bonnet House was kind of unique, actually. I went through a period where. You know, I didn't feel like playing. My father had passed away is what had happened. And, and I kind of, on the other end of it now, I think I was in a bit of a depression. And uh, I didn't feel like making music. I couldn't make music. I wasn't writing. And I played this show where uh, Bill and Sandy, the other two guys from Bonnet House, were playing. And there was a little after party. And so we went to that. And we got talking. And, and we just had so much in common. Uh, you know, they're big Roots music fans. Um, well, fans, God, they're like encyclopedias of Roots music, really. Um, so, you know, just picking their brains and just kind of, you know, being caught up in their enthusiasm for life and music, uh, was a big thing. So we decided to try our hand at, uh, just getting together, you know, and, and so that happened really naturally, but the ben the, uh, you know, side benefit that I didn't foresee with them was that they really reignited a passion for music and songwriting. You know, they built me up from that low place I was in and I'm really like eternally grateful to those two dudes. And, you know, I think the record we made kind of reflects that spirit of friendship that was in, in the room when that was going on. But anyway, yeah, so that's that's how I got in some of those projects, you know. When, when you're setting goals, are you setting anything in a long-term sort of sense or oh, like um, short-term where you want your music to end up or do you just kind of step by step? Yes and no. I mean, I know I always will. And sometimes I think, you know, about things like, well, I should really work on learning more about music theory or you know i should be learning banjo you know like work on those kind of things but as far as like you know where do i want to go with my music you know those kind of aspirations i don't have any long-term goals and i used to and i found it really discouraging and really depressing and i find it way easier to just not even easier i find it way healthier to just keep making music and because you know my interests are going to change what I want to do is going to change. What I can do is going to change. And so I don't want to have, you know, such a trajectory set in my mind that it's not flexible. If that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. But, you know, like short-term ones I, I love, especially with like this January through December project. That's great because I know that I have this deadline and I have to get something done, you know. So I can't overthink things or, you know, I find a lot of the time you think that you are something that, you're not once the tape starts rolling, you know what I mean? That's a good project for that. It's a humbling project in a lot of ways where, you know, I'll play a gig and be like, oh man, I killed that. And 
and I'll get in the studio and go to sing my song for the month and go, I'm a really bad singer. You know, it's a really humbling project, but the, but the goals are great, you know, because it keeps me productive and I can't plan it out too much, you know, good. And it makes sense. Like you said, your, your interests are going to change and for sure. Yeah. If you're obviously not setting out to, to sell out. So yeah, I mean, you know, you are. <laughs> would it be, would it be cool to be, you know, like a career musician? I used to think so, but I don't know if it would actually. I mean, you know, I can make music my whole life and that's okay. Um, but I don't have to worry about pleasing people. Right. You know, fitting in a certain thing or, you know, I don't even have to worry about it paying the bills each month, you know, it's yeah, that's true. Right. So it always gets to stay pure. I would think that after a while as a career musician or, you know, the older I get and the more access I get to knowing people that are, I think that's a lot of work, you know, and hats off to the people that do it. But it's a lot of work, and how does it not interfere with the music? It must, you know, yeah, it must. I agree, it would have to, if you're on tour, it would definitely yeah. have to interfere or change your songwriting process. Or, yeah, you know, like, wouldn't you want, wouldn't you think, like, oh, I, I better write a hit, you know? like Yeah. Or at least try to, I don't know. Yeah. I uh, I read Maynard from Tool, mm-hmm. Maynard James Keenan, read his biography, and he talks a little bit about that, whereas when they're putting out their third album, they're <laughs> under an immense amount of pressure to keep up their... Sure. Their momentum. Yep. Because it's the infamous trap of the third album. Yep, for sure. That's where most bands, that's where they flop out and break up. Fall off the bandwagon. Yep. So to speak. So I think it would just totally affect your your yeah. process and how you're thinking about music. And I'm not trying to paint like a negative light or go, oh, these career musicians must be big old sellouts. <laughs> but I'm just thinking Fair like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm realistic enough to know what my uh, strengths are and that the probability of it is weak. But I'm also okay with it because I do think that I do. I don't think it's as glossy as I might have thought it was when I was 25 years old. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You know, I couldn't hack it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll go out for a week with uh, with my pals in a van, and I'm I'm pretty tired by the end of that. Yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> can you imagine like you know 300 days of the year doing that? I couldn't. No, but God, I, you know, I, I would, I would like to try. You know, it's, <laughs> I say these things, but I would, I would, I wouldn't say no if it came. I think <laughs> it'd be an interesting experience. That's yeah. for sure. It'd be, it'd be something for the for the books. Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know. And, and as a uh, like, I haven't, I'm not much of a traveler, so not by choice, you know. Just, but it just worked out that way. But you know, so if I can go to Barrie, Ontario, with my pals and play some music that's amazing for me you know and i just saw barry ontario you know yeah um, and that's yeah. cool and i think they get a kick out of it you know because all, all of my friends that i play with are, are more um seasoned when it comes to touring you know so i think they get a kick out of me because i'm like going look at this you guys you know they're going, <laughs> we know we've been here you <laughs> yeah. know? it's kind of fun what about a, a gig what's the what's the worst gig you've ever played the worst gig i've yeah. ever played um well there's lots uh a lot lots. um and sometimes those end up being like the most fun but um i remember i did this thing called floodstock and it was the pay was great the people were great but the idea was they were going to have joel plaskett play i think it was like a maybe t4g it's like maybe it's their company thing or i might be getting it confused but anyway and then they wanted to keep the party going through the night so they were going to put local performers on after that so i was the first person to play after the joel plaskett band tough act to follow yeah so he played to 400 screaming joel plaskett fans and i played to four screaming joel plaskett fans (laughs) (laughs) that was a really like that was just a 
in hindsight, really bad idea, you know. But, you know, he was super cool. He stood there and watched, which was really nice of him. I'm sure he wanted to go drink or do something, but he stood there and watched, which was nice. <laughs> him and three other people. <laughs> <laughs> so there was that one. What about the best gig? Oh, man, there's lots, you know. There's some that are, like, point to because you go, that experience was amazing. Like, I got commissioned by the city to write the 225th birthday song when St. When oh, cool. John, yeah. We got to debut that song at Harbor Station, you know, which was super cool, right? You know, Chuck Teed played with me, and, and uh, so it was myself and, and a band called the, the Formers, my backing band, and we got to play that at Harbor Station, you know, and I got to wear, like, the... Uh, the wireless mic set and walk around the stage like did you Garth feel a little Brooks. bit like I was just oh, saying, I did felt you feel like totally foolish, but <laughs> but, I, but I also it was like such a cool experience you know or uh, you know uh, the carousels got to play uh, soft seat theater tour with the Northern Pikes oh that was great you know I got to play at the Imperial Solo for the hundredth anniversary concert that was great and things like that are the ones that on paper are the the best gigs you know because they're like the but they're not you know the best ones are the ones where it's like telling you about them would be dumb you know or like a penny blacks gig where you go hey jason remember that time you said this haha <laughs> giggle giggle like that was such a fun night and those are the ones that stick out for me but to tell somebody about them you know you tell them about playing harbor station or playing the yeah game. you know it doesn't doesn't excite anybody to say that Having time would be there sort of yeah like you know i can i can remember this time when penny blacks played uh, a friend's wedding and it was in a field somewhere up past westfield and um, the violin player and i just got like crazy drunk on wine afterwards and it makes for such a bad story because that's it but that was such a fun night <laughs> you know and those gigs are like kind of the ones that stick out you know, the friendship gigs, I guess. Yeah, you know? yeah, that makes sense. Do you find it's easier to play in front of a giant crowd of people you don't know as opposed to a little tiny room where yeah. somebody just hands you a guitar and yeah. like, hey, play me a song? Yeah, uh, so assuming that I've had that both experiences, um, yeah, the the anonymity of, you know, even to play like, even to play to five people out of town is way easier than to play to, you know, 20 people in town, right? Yeah. To be... In front of people that, you know, seen me in my shorts at the nature park trying to, you know, huff my way around the trails. That's, it's hard to stand in front of those people and play the role of singer-songwriter, you know. But to be anywhere else, great. I can be anybody I want to be. And I like the anonymity of that. Mm. Um, but yeah, a bigger crowd where I can, it's not so personal. Yeah, it's, it's easier than to a couple, for sure. Yeah.
Stumble through the darkened streets, listen steady on my feet, drowning in the summer's heat and sinking like a stone. And I hummed a song that he had played about a girl who went away, and how his heart would always wait, just hoping she. Welcome back to the Pagan Place. Here, let me chop up that poison for you. No, no, you keep the tip. All we need is a little like and share. That'll do just fine. There you go. Have a good day. How is it to play in front of us? <laughs> uh, super cool, actually. Yeah, you've uh, you've got a real um, knack for making people comfortable. Oh, well, it's good. a it's a gift. I try. It's good. I find it gets easier for me as I go. But to do this, yeah, yeah, because I mean, it's kind of weird, isn't it? You're going to sit down with a stranger yeah, and go, "Let's yeah, have a conversation." I mean, yeah. the onus is on you, right? You're asking <laughs> questions. I just get to babble about myself. Yeah, but yeah. No, it's a it takes a lot of talent, man. It, uh, You're good at. It. Well, I don't know if talents <laughs> the right word. For but sure, it is. I find just making people comfortable, feel at home. You know, coffee. Yep. Sometimes there's beer in the fridge. Drank yep. it all last night, so it's not right now. But right, right. <laughs> it's good. Having people play first kind of yeah well, opens yeah. them up a little bit because then they can talk about the songs they played or they've gotten the like you said the more nerve wracking part part of out the way, of the yep. way. Yep. Um, it seems to work. But everybody's different, and then there's some people that you you talk to, and maybe they don't want to talk about certain things, or it's really hard to talk about yourself. You yeah, know? yeah, it's, it really uh, is. It, you know. And, uh, you know, it's something I've learned to do because it's what, you know, you want me to talk about myself. That's the point of, of <laughs> yeah. being here. But it's not a comfort zone. You know? No, it's and, not. And Even when people turn questions on me when I'm interviewing them, like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. Or why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I'm like, oh, shit. I don't know. Yeah, and I find I like, about that. I find the people where it's like, you know, they're just chomping at the bit or whatever the saying is to talk about themselves. When they talk, I don't want to hear it because they sound really arrogant to me. I don't know why. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think for the most modest, humble person, it is a struggle to talk about. I'm sure Jason struggled yesterday. He's a very modest dude. I'm sure he was, he was probably yeah. uncomfortable. But he did really well, too. Oh, yeah, he's like, great. I like getting people telling stories and stuff, too. Like, yep. And then that's how you get some of the, the good stuff. Cause then, for sure. Then they can kind of get outside of themselves a little bit, and then they start mm -hmm. rambling. And I love rambly stories they're my favorite kind of stories to hear myself so yeah yeah it's the best good well you got a rambler here so <laughs> <laughs> unions got no work for no man in these arms ain't got the strength they want Union's got no 
You're dropping your last track for January to December. Yep, January, January 1st. 1st. So yep. that's the time. So is it ready to go or do you have to make sure you've got it done by January No, 1st? no, I have to have it done by then. I've got, uh, I recorded Chris Braden uh, yesterday. He recorded like eight or nine different takes of uh, guitar for me. Um, and I've been building, I have this idea for this one where I want it to be like this really uh, subdued, muted uh, rhythm track, which turns out has to be really busy for it to sound like I want it to be actually. And then like the, you know, a reversed ambient guitar kind of thing with a piano melody sitting on top of that. It'll be, it'll be a pretty hushed song, I think. But yeah, so I've been building the rhythm track, you know, and over the, the past few nights. And then Chris came over yesterday. I'm going to go and uh, embarrass myself on the uh, baby grand at the interactions <laughs> this evening. And then I'll have to write some lyrics. And that's the struggle. I leave that to the last thing 
every month because <laughs> it's a struggle. Do you find you get disappointed sometimes when you can't match what you're able to create with how it already is in your head? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I've, I've gotten pretty good at arranging the instruments. I've gotten pretty good at, at getting recording and getting the right sounds uh, where I always run into disappointments. And not always, you know, some I'm really happy with, but uh, it's when I get to the vocals. Yeah. It's like you say, you know, I hear this thing in my head and when I'm driving in the car, singing it out loud, it sounds just like I wanted to, but you know, I get in front of the mics and go, damn it. In fact, you know, here's a fun one. Uh, the February song, uh, it's called Flowers on a Grave. I had been playing that song. I, I wrote it kind of traditionally, you know, with my guitar downstairs. I had been singing that one real quietly at night. Oh yeah, yeah this is going to be a good one, you know? And so when I went, I, I made all the music, and then I, when I went to record the vocals, I realized I'd been singing it so quiet, sitting in you know downstairs while everybody's sleeping upstairs, that I can't project this song. It needs to be in a different key. So you know, I really struggled, and I did not have time to rebuild the track in a different key. So you know, I really struggled to get the vocals done for that song a lot. You know, I think I worked on that for four nights in a row of just oh, wow. singing it. You know, like coming downstairs like kind of sweaty. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, got it done eventually. But yeah, it's you know, it's and that's kind of where things go wrong. Like something I think I'd like to do in the future is I think I'd like to do arrangements and production for other people i love putting the instruments together i love yeah. doing that and i got a good ear for it like i i know where what should go where and what should drop out you know I'm a little busy sometimes but i love to sing but it can just be so discouraging that i think it would be a pleasure to be able to just have another singer worry about all that and, and me just get <laughs> the to put the pieces together you know <laughs> i love the idea that i think that was even me learning just doing open mics and stuff like, yeah the most discouraging part is getting your vocals down and yep comfortable with just being comfortable with them yep Even and open mics are tough because uh people are going to talk no matter what man no yeah. matter how good you are you <laughs> exactly know? so yeah those are and i take that hard i don't know uh, what your experiences were but like you know if i get up and and <laughs> sing and people are talking even at an o'leary's where of course they're going to talk i'll think about that for the next three days about yeah. how bad i must have been and <laughs> oh god i used to i used to not so much now but i don't know i don't know if i got used to that or yeah i, I don't know what it is but uh, it's being your own self-critic is so deprecating oh, yeah luckily though we have a good group of people i find if you go to the open mics like mm -hmm. there's somebody uh, you know reassuring you that oh it sounded great or maybe giving you a little oh, yeah, bit of for advice sure. for Oh, next time you got to get your face right in the microphone, you know. Like, well, that's an like interesting keeps telling me to. An interesting thing that you that you say because I think that might have been like one of the biggest things for me in the in the local music scene for, you know, maybe of the past 20 years was realizing that somebody's listening. As obvious or simple as that might sound, that really became like and it was Brent Mason that told me it. Um and that really became like this, oh my god, kind of thing where you could be at the worst gig or, you know, playing the worst show. But somebody's listening, you know, yeah. and there's like a responsibility that comes with that, especially if you're making original music to present the best product that you can or, and I like that, you know, like I feel that, does that make sense? Do you know what I mean oh, by yeah. that? Like, yeah, absolutely. And I like that because that means, you know, there is an importance to it, not to sound pretentious, but. Um, it's not a lost moment. No. And you know, like I remember being 17 years old and sneaking into the Bullenstein to watch brent mason because oh my god this was somebody local that was making music and that was incredible and i can remember when the port city all-stars came on the scene all the high school kids just idolized adam maori and, and then they should what an incredible songwriter but oh yeah there's some acne-faced 
teenage kid who really thinks Gordon Lightfoot is wicked cool and he's scared to tell his friends that, <laughs> who has seen me play some depressing song in, at Market Square that thinks I'm cool and I've inspired him in some way. And that is just an amazing feeling. Yeah. What's, what's saying is as long as you can reach out to one person. Then... Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just important. Think about bands like well like little you little me for example you know those guys are like beacons for so many you know young high school bands that are coming up that that's their their template their blueprint you know they want to be them and we had those and and you know those guys had had theirs and it's cool because when you think in terms of local music and take things like record sales out of the equation but to be able to go like you're inspiring somebody is incredible yeah and that's that's true that's where i get off that's where i think it's really neat so you mentioned brent mason being a bit of an influence so yep when you were younger who were some of the the influences that like Uh, well just to that made you want to play in front of people and stuff like that sure um i didn't have a lot of local ones uh because i wasn't even aware of the local music scene for you know like i say a long time you know there were like the Untouchables, and then The Attainables. And that's the categories I put it into. So there were guys like Neil Finn from Crowded House, uh, Paul McCartney, Paul Simon, you know. Those are guys where I'm just like constantly, to this day, constantly inspired by them. But it just seems so unattainable to me. Like their minds work on a level I'm not sure I'll ever understand, you know. I've seen uh, YouTube videos of interviews with Paul Simon where he plays like half-finished songs and he talks about where he can go with this from here and his understanding of music theory boggles my mind but then there's attainables and i got a lot of inspiration from guys like steve earl you know for a long time i i used steve earl to learn how to finger pick his his really aggressive uh style where he digs into the strings and me being a drummer you know naturally play that way too so his guitar playing made a lot of sense to me i used him to learn how to finger pick just his style of songwriting his approach to to melody uh, seemed very attainable to me. So he's he's a guy that, you know, I drew a lot of inspiration from. A lot of the alt-country bands of, of the early 2000s, uh, Whiskey Town, um, you know, Ryan Adams' band were huge for me. I adored those guys. Uh, the Jayhawks, the old 97s. Blue Rodeo, for sure, especially growing up. It's funny, too, because, you know, young me wanted to be uh, Jim Cuddy. You know, I wanted to have that smooth voice and, and sing all the ballads i love ballads and then you know as i got older i was like man this greg keeler guy is really the bomb like this guy's really great you know so so they were kind of one that kept uh longevity for me you know i don't even know if they were so much an inspiration but bands like 5440 and the northern pikes were important for me because i felt like they came from a time when there was really a sense of place in canadian music but the northern pikes were doing felt very and i know they're from saskatoon but it felt very toronto to me you know i felt like oh that's what's happening in this mysterious place called toronto at this time and i i think it probably was you know like teen land was a weird song right and i wore i wore the white wife beater and and bicycle gloves for a few gigs after that came out but you know (laughs) just like the drummer right uh, and 5440, like, they were another weird one for me because it's so mysterious. And I remember them thinking like they were like Canada's Soul Asylum. Because Soul Asylum were a band I got into kind of before they were ever, you know, before Runaway Train ever happened or whatever. But I thought, well, these guys have a lot in common with that. There was a band called The Waltons. They were a big one for me because I loved the songwriting. And I got to go see them at UMBSJ 
I remember being in line for the ATM behind the bass player. And, you know, he checks the little paper that comes out and says some expletive and walks off. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to take this piece of paper. This is the Waltons. And it was insufficient funds. And I remember that being a really big moment for me. Where I was like, wait a sec. Isn't he a rock star? You know? So I don't know. There's there's some things. A lot of when I was young and starting to write songs, a lot of it was just wanting to be like as good as my friends that were doing the same thing, you know? And, and that's that healthy competition that I talk, you know, was talking about. Where you want it to be the guy to go, hey, check out this one, though. Like, should we do this song? You know. Now that you're a little more developed, mm-hmm. other than working with as many musicians as you do, because that's obviously going to yep. alter your stuff. But do you ever come across an album or a band that you'd never really given the chance to before? Or maybe it's a new something and you're like, oh, shit. And then you can kind of start to see little tweaks in your Absolutely, stuff. yeah. Um, you know, over the past few years i've gotten into jazz music you know way more than i ever had you know i tried when i was young because i thought i should but it never spoke to me but there's a band called the bad plus that uh, just blew me away and and uh you know on the surface i could say look well that their drummer dave king has been a big inspiration for me drum wise but anything i I do on the drums is also influencing my songwriting and, and how i play guitar too and it's you know what i've realized is that that band and their sense of space and their approach to um, melody has been a big inspiration to me. You know, like I've wanted to find more space in my music and, and kind of capture some of the same moods that they did. A lot of ambient music uh, has, you know, been something I've been digging into over the past, you know, few years. Like Music for Airports by Brian Eno was a massive obsession for me for a long time. The Disintegration Tapes, are you familiar with? It's it's almost hard to explain, but uh, this composer, William Bozinski, recorded some music uh, in the 70s, I think, and he wanted to transfer it to digital. And the tapes had been stored in, you know, an old basement and were musty. So uh, they were falling apart as he was doing the transfer. So he decided to record it anyway. And this is what he put out as the disintegration tapes. Uh, The weird coincidence is that, you know, while he's in his basement doing this, 9-11 happens. He's in New York City and 9-11 happens, but he doesn't know. He's down in his basement. He doesn't know what's going on. So, you know, as he's spent the day downstairs listening to his music fall apart, he comes upstairs to his city that has been falling apart. And there's this weird, you know, inexplicable syncopation in it all that's gorgeous. And and I love that. It's really almost impossible for other people to listen to unless it's something you enjoy. But, uh, you know, I say give it a shot sometime because it's really this yeah, incredible I'll definitely look that up. thing. Yeah. Interesting. That's a good story behind it, too. That's almost yeah. like recent. Well, the story's how I, I got into it. But, yeah. Um, almost in the same vein, but... What's at the top of your playlist right now? Uh, right now? Jeez, well, let's see. In the car, I have a Broken Bells in this in the CD player right now. At home, on the turntable, I have William Fitzsimmons. It's kind of a new find uh, for me. Do you know his music at all? I- I've been told to check it out, but I haven't really yeah, touched it. Yeah, he's really good. He's, um, you know, he's an acoustic-based guy, but... You know, ultimately, I'd say it's probably pop music. The album I'm listening to is called Lions. Uh, it's got a lot of ambient overtones in it and uh, hints of electronica here and there, which, you know, that's something that really interests me. I like mm. the idea of acoustic guitars and drum machines. You know, I like the idea of natural and, yeah. and electronic together. What advice do you think you could give to anybody who is interested in either, you know, getting into music or writing music or hmm. just any advice for I think you might be able to impart be be part of it get present you know go to shows meet people uh, play with other people learn from other people be humble and share share your music i did a songwriting clinic one time 
And the, uh, a student had asked me, how do I get to be a songwriter? And I said, well, write a song. And while that sounds sarcastic, it's really that simple, you know? So, you know, you want to be a, a musician, you want to be part of the community and the scene, well, then just do it. It's welcoming and you can, you know? Thank you for uh, having me on. I'm going to be tickled pink to be able to tag and place with myself on it. But yeah, so. thank you. I, I was uh, quite stoked. I, I was super ecstatic. So I, I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very oh, much. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. It's Alyssa from Piccadilly Coffee Roasters in Sussex, and you've been listening to the Peg and Place podcast.